0: Well, good morning. Let's pray. Father, again, we are grateful to start another week with each other before you and to have your word as our light and lamp to our feet. We pray, Father, this morning as we continue to think about raising our children that we will think more broadly and deeply and be eager to make application of your word to our lives, to their lives, and to the future of the kingdom. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I have a few more lessons here in this series on the fruitful vineyard. And uh, I realize as I try to wrap that up in the next uh, few weeks that this is really a topic that grows uh, and never ends. By the time you get through, you realize there are so many things we haven't touched on. But uh, hopefully, this survey, this flyover, will be helpful to get you thinking. And I want to encourage you to continue to read and think and talk among yourselves and to uh, not give up. This is the central task. This is one of the the great things that we're called to do in Christ. And so, the question today, we're going to deal with the issue of community, is for whom are we raising our children? The title of the series is The Fruitful Vineyard, Filling the Earth with Godly Children, so that should give you a hint as to where I'm going to go in answering this question. There are several things in life that are yours, (coughs) but they aren't just yours. I frequently, in doing premarital counseling, will, in talking with the future bride and groom, point out that this is your wedding, but it's not just your wedding. And you have to remember that, because you know what happens if they forget that. Then the whole world ceases to exist, and it just becomes the two of them. Nobody wants to be around them, uh, and, uh, and it's not good. They have to remember that they're part of a family or families and a community, and, that they, and these have interest in that as well. The people have interest in our work. Uh, they have interest certainly in our children as well. They are our children but in a sense they're the children, certainly children of the church and children of the broader family and children even of the world uh, that God told us to fill the earth with. And so the Bible uh, uses the word children or child uh, nearly 1,600 times. Uh, So it's used in different contexts and applications, but the point is the Bible has a great deal to say about children. Children are central to God's plan and God's purpose, and particularly His plan and purpose uh, with regard to redemption. They are a critical part of that plan. They have been given to you, but they have been given to you in order for you to do something with them. They're not just gifts to you. They're gifts to you, uh, and, and you are called to take them and shape them and mold them and train them and prepare them for a broader purpose, a bigger use, you have them for about 20 years or so before they launch out on their own. Now, the first 20, of course, have a great deal to do with what happens next. And all of you who are adults, look back on your childhood and you see both, hopefully, a number of positive positive things, assets, things you learn from your parents and your family and your upbringing, but perhaps you also see deficits. You see things where you wish you had been trained better. You wish you had a better example. You wish this or that. And so if you can see that in your own life, that ought to be a motivation and incentive for us as we train our children to be even more diligent to try to get it right, to try to do the best that we can, with God's Word and with God's help and and the Spirit, uh, working in our children to make sure that we improve upon that. And so, just a few areas I just jotted down uh, that I wanted to mention here. This is a fairly casual lesson here, but just to, to think through the different parts of answering this question, for whom are we raising our children? First, we're raising them for God. And that's why we bring them to the church to be baptized, to receive the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They're handed over to Jesus, if you will, the church, the body of Christ. And they receive God's name, and then the minister in the name of Christ hands them back to the parents and says, All right, uh, go home, take this child home, this child of the church, this child that now has formally and publicly been declared to belong to God. You now, as a believer, Take this child home and raise them to the glory of God. That is what you're called to do. And use all the things I've given you to do that. Use prayer. Use uh, training by example. Use your words. Use the Bible, of course. Uh, Have them in church. Teach them to worship. uh, Correct them. Discipline them. Give them a Christian education. Do all those things that God... Use all those tools that God has given you to raise them for His glory. They are gifts from Him. He formed them in their mother's womb. He has numbered their days. He knows their names. Psalm 22, 9 and 10, But you are He who took me out of the womb. You made me trust while on my mother's breast. I was cast upon you from birth. From my mother's womb, you have been my God. That was David's prayer. That was David's psalm, and that's a psalm that we're to sing. It wasn't just something about David. It's something that we, these are the, this is the word of God that we all sing, and we all say because this is to be true of all of God's children. Children are the fruit that God requires us to produce for his glory. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth with God-glorifying image bearers, Malachi 2:14 and 15 says of the wife, the husband and wife, she is your companion and your wife by covenant. But he did not make, the, but did he not make them one, having a remnant of the spirit? And why one? He, God, seeks godly offspring. That's the goal. These children belong to God. Man's chief end is to glorify God. And to enjoy Him forever. And that's what we're called to, do, to train and teach our children to do as well. And, we're to, and we do train and teach them all the, all the time. That's a constant. It's only a question of what we're training and teaching them to do and be. David Brooks in his book, The Road to Character, says this about education. We don't become better because we acquire new information. We become better because we acquire better loves. We don't become what we know. Education is a process of love formation. When you go to a school, it should offer you new things to love. Now, that's true of a school, but you have to remember, your house is the primary school. Everyone is a homeschooler. We may employ uh, a school, an institution, to help us as parents in that task, but the education of our children is our task And central to that education is to teach them to love, and primarily it's to teach them to love God. That's the greatest commandment. That's the number one lesson. Now, we should never forget, again, that we're all homeschoolers and we're always teaching our children something. Love for God and neighbor always are at the top of that list, and whatever else you teach them, if you leave those things off, those two, loving God and loving neighbor, then you have fallen short. So in all of our child-rearing, this is the great objective, to populate the new heavens and the new earth and to not populate hell. Each day should begin anew with prayer and focus on this grand task. Each day should be governed with our love for God, are diligently teaching our children to love God and love their neighbor. You know, I think sometimes, just in a real practical way, we're good at certain things. Perhaps as, as parents, we teach them to brush their teeth and to, uh, you know, put their clothes in the drawer or to uh, do their homework. Or we could have a whole list of kinds of things that we do and we should do that are part of the task of raising responsible adults. But if we forget that's central to all of that. Why do we brush our teeth? Why do we put our clothes up? Why do we eat our vegetables? Why do we do our homework? It's to that chief end, to glorify God. And if we don't bring that in, if we don't bring that in on a regular basis and make it clear to them that that is what we're after and that's the objective, and that, of course, has to be seen in your life, then we are falling short. We're missing the point of what we're doing and why we're doing it. And so, uh, each day uh, should be governed with our love for God and our diligently teaching our children to love God and neighbor. It starts, of course, with you loving and fearing God and keeping his commandments. They should see that. Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, I know there's the counter to that. We don't want to be Pharisees. We're not out on the street quarters clanging cymbals saying, Look at me. But on the other hand, you can't just say, Well, I love Jesus in my heart, but I never mention him, and we never pray, and we never talk about this. And my, It ought to be so obvious to your children that this is central to your life. Uh, remember, part of the goal of discipleship is that you're, Students want to imitate you. They want to be like you. And in order to be like you, they have to see you. They have to see what you do and what's important to you. It has to be evident. And it has to be evident not just in the formal times when we say, okay, now we're going to have family worship or we're going to have a prayer over the meal. But it ought to be, as the Bible teaches us, part of your regular conversation, if you will. It ought to be subtle as well as obvious it's in the foreground and the background it's really in him we live and move and have our being that's the context of how this gets done otherwise children what are children what are they quick to see incongruity right inconsistency hypocrisy well yeah we go to church but you ought to see us at home That ought not be the case. Yeah, everybody's polite when company's over or when we're at somebody else's house, but when everybody's gone, we're yelling and screaming and having a fit, and uh, it's a scary, unhappy, unpleasant place. That is uh, a complete undermining of the task. The most important place for you to show the grace of God and to be under control and to glorify God is at your house with your kids when it's hard. That's the time that they go, this is real. Mom and dad really believe this. They actually, I've seen my mom or my dad do such and such and then as soon as it dawns on them that what they did was wrong, they owned it and they asked for forgiveness and they demonstrated that they truly believe the things that they're teaching me now they may not say that in the moment but if you live like that they will say it they will notice they can't help but notice but they're going to notice something they're going to notice whatever is actually there and so it starts with you but then it has to extend to your children and the bible says to your grandchildren and it says all the days of your life sometimes uh, those of us who've raised our children and they they're married and have started their own families, there is some element of being able to you know say ah, that's it. but what that is the milestone it doesn't mean it's over. The Bible says that we're to diligently teach these things to our children and our grandchildren all the days of our life. It never ends it's constant it's it is the call of our life here to make sure we perpetuate the kingdom of God generation after generation after generation. And so, that's why, as Deuteronomy says, you must teach them diligently to your children the word of God. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes, and you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and gates. Now, that doesn't mean we're always walking around just quoting the Bible, beating people over the heads with a, with a Bible verse. Uh, I've mentioned before a show I saw once, the episode of the Waltons, where the children were punished by having to go to their room and memorize the verse of Scripture. That's a bad idea, by the way. They ought to memorize Scripture, but not as punishment. Okay? um so, but just in conversation, whether it's in the car or just over the dinner table or just in passing that this ought to come and go, and sometimes it is a Bible verse, and sometimes it's just the truth of the Bible that's coming out in a paraphrased form, and sometimes it's because of the rules that we have of how we talk to each other and and what how we show respect and love and how we serve which are which are uh, incarnations. Of the Word of God. That people see it. Well, there's the love of God. That's how you love your neighbor. You pick up after them, you help them do tasks, you say encouraging things, you're cheerful, you're obedient. Uh, we could go down all kinds of ways that the Word of God is manifest in our families and in how we live. So let me pause and ask you to examine yourself and see if this truly describes you and your household. Again, we're still under the heading here of we're raising them for God. Finally, each day should end with thanksgiving to God and our continually giving our children to him, our asking him for help and mercy and wisdom and strength. Because that's what we need. We need His grace. This isn't something you can get the the perfect plan for and get it all mapped out on a piece of paper, a curriculum, and if we do all these things, we're going to somehow produce what we need to produce. This is still the grace of God. We're not going to save ourselves by our good works, and we're not going to save our children by our good works. It's still going to be the grace of God, depending upon Him to do these things. Second, we are raising them for ourselves, as the parents. We want a happy child, our children, and a happy family. We want them to have happy lives and families, and, of course, we want grandchildren. Proverbs 23, 24 through 25, The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice, and he who begets a wise child will delight in him. So Our children bring us pleasure. Let your father and your mother be glad, and let her who bore you rejoice. Psalm 127, 3 through 5, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. Sounds like a blessing. our children, we're raising children, we're raising these children to become godly adults, and as a result, part of what we're doing that for is they become blessings to us. And so as we govern our households under God, what does he require? What does this training facility look like? First, uh, as I've said before, at the very center, and I think perhaps the most important thing, are parents who love and serve one another. Uh, That's the great example. Who are united in their mission to raise children or adults with deep love for God and solid virtues who are examples of this themselves and who insist on nothing less than that from their children. These are some of the qualities that you are seeking to instill in them, and it will make your life happier. Knowledge, understanding, wisdom, courage, faith, grace, Kindness, service, diligence, respect. And we could parse, parse that out or, or you know, uh, expand on any of those and discuss how that looks. So let's just take diligence as an example of teaching them to do a job and to do it well and to finish it and to redo it if it wasn't done right and to, and to demonstrate that because they've seen you finish a job and do it right. These uh, these are some of those uh, those qualities. You self consciously train them to love their siblings. I want to pause on that because I've I've witnessed this enough over the years, and it's really tra- inevitably siblings clash. Right, they're the closest neighbors. They're in some kind of a, a bit of a competition. That's just going to happen. They're going to rub each other the wrong way. First of all, they're selfish. They're immature, uh, and they're That's the problem, and that's part of what you're training them. Here's a great opportunity. So you're going to teach them to love their brother and to love their sister. And what does that mean? It means self-sacrifice. That means humility. That means service. That means all those things. And so your job isn't just to keep them apart or to keep them quiet or to punish them when there's been a conflict, but to train them to love one another. They will learn hospitality from you if you show hospitality, if you have people over and do things and you engage them in that, not just say, yo y'all, y'all get out of here, we're having people over, stay out of my hair. Use them. Get them help them to prepare to serve and to get ready for company and to clean the house and to help prepare the meal and to clean up afterward and talk to them about how do we act when company comes over? And what do we do with this? And and you know, make sure you're giving them instruction to teach them how to be a good host and hostess, to show the love of Christ to the guests who are in your home. And that's why, for example, hospitality is so important and why you train for that, so that when they grow up and uh, they have a family, it's just easy for them. Maybe, it, maybe hospitality is hard for you. Maybe you weren't trained that way. Here's your chance to change things, to change the future. Um, Here's, it's at your house where they will learn about conflict resolution, about repentance and forgiveness. They will learn from you how to uh, the value of hard work and saving and giving. In fact, every lesson that's important and essential, they will learn or not learn at your house. And so, your house is the hot house that will prepare them or not prepare them for the world. And so you're raising them for yourself, because if you do all that, your house is going to be a nice place to be, an enjoyable place, not 100% of the time, there's still going to be sin, but mostly. It's going to be a place when you get to the end of the week, there will have been some tears, but there will have been a lot of joys. Third, we're raising them for their future families. Children's children are the crown of old men and the glory of children is their father, Proverbs 17, 6. You're raising your grandchildren's parents. Indeed, all the generations downstream will be affected by what you you are doing today. It would be impossible, really, for us to calculate the good or the harm that flows from your child-rearing. Now, some of you are desperately trying to overcome the deficits of your own childhood. But you have to remember that the grace of God is in the business of interrupting lives and families and turning them in new directions. And so, here's what you have. You have an opportunity to improve and advance everything in the future for your ever-expanding family. That's what, however bad you had it, you have an opportunity to learn from that and to change the direction, the course of the river for all the future generations. That is an amazing opportunity. And so on those hard days, when you wonder if it's all worth it, anybody have any of those with kids? The answer is absolutely, it is worth it. Your love, your sacrifice, expense, tears, devotion, prayers, labor, and even all those daily routines, washing clothes and cooking meals and going to work and paying the bills, all of that is cultivating the soil for more and more good fruit. As as you nurture your children in the Lord... You are at the same time nurturing your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren for a thousand generations. Deuteronomy 7, 9, Therefore know that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God, who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments. And so you're raising them for their future families. Uh, Fourth, we're raising them for the church. Your children were brought to the church and baptized into the church, the body of Christ. They belong to this larger family, this larger household. It's here that they are to find their identity as children of God. The church is not an abstraction, but a real place with real people to love and to serve. Here we join together on this journey, and it's here that we are trained and tested moms and dads and children all of us are part of this household part of this building that's being built and so let me commend you you know here you are again week after week after week doing that training your children getting training them to be a part of a broader community something you know one of the things that happens when we're with other people is immediately there is the need to deny ourselves in in large measure in order to gain the benefit of the group. Everybody doesn't just, you know, right here, we're all, we started on time and we all sat down and we're sitting quietly in our seats instead of running around and doing whatever we want to do. Uh, That requires some discipline. That requires us to pay attention. There are any number of things going on in a subtle way that are really important to prepare us for life, to prepare us to be useful in the kingdom of God. And so church is, a, is a, one of the places, one of the places where we are training and raising our children. It's in this place that you should be thinking about teaching your children such things as this. While you're at church, uh, when we're gathered together with God's people, here's a great place to teach them how to love their neighbors. Respect, how to talk to people. Look people in the eye. shake a hand. Say yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. If you're in the south, or other ways of expressing that in other cultures. Okay, uh, labor. You know, you're not the you're not the queen of England here. Okay, get up and do something. Help. Clean something up. Set up tables, chairs. Do something. Be part of the community. Be uh, be contributing uh, your labor, your conversation. Uh, and your consideration, for example, during worship and classes and fellowship times, give people your attention. It's not all about you. Teach your children that. Talk to them about that. On the way to church, on the way home from church, here's an opportunity. We're going to church. What are we going to do today? Who are you going to talk to? What are you going to do when church is over? How are you going to help? What are you going to do when you're finished with your meal and your, dirty, uh, your empty styrofoam plates and cups? Are you going to leave them out on the porch like those other children did last week? Or what are you going to do? Okay, I'm going to throw mine away. Very good. That's the way we love our neighbor. You see, very practical, uh, powerful ways. If you just do that every week for 20 years, they're going to be great adults. Okay? And so, and we can... Multiply this. You can teach them about participation. Eh, I don't really like that. Yeah, well, stop whining and go learn to like it. And if you don't like it, act like you like it. Fake it in a good way. Because it's your duty. You're part of something bigger than you. This is not all about you. Okay? Sacrifice yourself. Duty. Responsibility. Conflict resolution. You know what? Here we are. Uh, somebody said fellowship is two or more fellows in a ship. Okay? Well, here we are in a ship. Looks like a belly of a ship. And inevitably, there will be conflict. We're sinners. We bump into each other. And our kids bump into each other. And your kid punches my kid, and my kid punches your kid back, and now we have a fight, and now we got to deal with it. And sometimes... You aggravate me, and I aggravate you, and we have to deal with it. Deal with it. Don't ignore it. Don't go home grumbling about it. Do what Christians are supposed to do and train your children about how to resolve conflict. Yeah, well, there's tension between me and -and so-and-so. Well, what are you doing about it to resolve it? You do it. Don't wait for them to do it. You do it, and let your kids see you do it. That's what you want for them, right? Right? A life where they know how to resolve conflict? Church is a great place for that. Grace. Forgiveness. Real forgiveness. Not, yeah, I forgave them, but I I don't want to see them next Sunday. Aren't you glad Jesus doesn't do that? I forgive you, but go away. No, I forgive you. Come. Let's eat. Let's have a meal together. Let's commune. Inclusion. Okay, yeah, I know you're going to go see your best friend's but be sure you visit with other people. Be sure you include so-and-so today. I want to see that. I'm going to ask you on the way home if you did. Here's a great place to teach that. That's going to be an important lesson in life to represent Christ to the world. Kindness, patience, joy, and again, hospitality. It should matter to you. This is important. It should matter to you, parents, what other people think of your children. Of course, one way to find out is to ask them. Or at least find a few people you really love and trust and say, would you be honest with me? How are my kids? How annoying are my kids? Maybe you can help get them started uh, by letting them know that you're open to that part of the evaluation, too. They're going to, you know, it's easy to give them, oh, they're very cute, and, um, they're you know, they did this good thing or whatever, but you want to invite some other things there by being, being open about that. And so uh, you should, uh, should welcome that. Uh, and you should care what other people think. For example, 1 Samuel 2.26 says, And the child Samuel grew in stature and in favor both with the Lord and with men. It also says that about Jesus, right? In Luke 2.52, And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. That's what it says about him when he was a child. And that ought to be true. Boy, he sure is getting tall, and I sure do like him. He's very polite. He's very helpful. He's very engaging. He's a fine young man. She's a fine young lady. That's what you want every other person to be saying about your kids, and you should be concerned about that. Don't just turn your children loose at church. Direct and instruct them as to what you want them to do. Correct them, train them, let them see you doing all these things yourself. Don't send them off to help clean up if you're not cleaning up. Um, Of course, they should also learn that they represent God. They represent your family, and they represent the church at all times and in all places. So when they do something sinful and you're correcting them and disciplining them, part of that should be some instruction that points out that you didn't just sin against that person. You also sinned against our family. You also sinned against the church. You represent the church. You bear the name of Christ as you go out. And so you need to learn. you're, You're developing a consciousness in them so that as adults they think that, you know, it isn't just about what happened in this moment, in this spot. But I recognize that this has uh, ramifications that spread out beyond the moment and beyond me. Help them develop this consciousness of all these things. You're preparing them to be useful in the kingdom of God, to be lifelong servants of the king of kings. And then fifth, and finally, we're raising them for the world. So we see this circle getting bigger and bigger. We have them, they're little babies, and we carry them around and take care of every single need they have. But pretty soon, they walk and they talk and they begin to explore and, and, uh, and learn and grow. And all of that's to get them ready to go out. Jesus sent his disciples out into the world. And that's what we're doing. We're discipling our children in order to send them out and do it again and hopefully do it better than we did. See, if you do this well then when they're 20 and 25 and when they start a family they start ahead of you they they they've got a few uh, they're a few further rungs up on the ladder than perhaps you were when you started and then if they do that with their kids then their kids start even higher Genesis 18 through and the Lord said shall I hide from Abraham what I'm doing since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him for I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him that they may keep the way of the Lord to do justice and righteousness so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he had spoken to him so So God didn't just call Abraham, and he didn't just call you as a child of Abraham, just to be his person. He called Abraham, and he called for everything that that belonged to Abraham, including his family, to be entirely devoted to the Lord. Abraham's primary job was to command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord. Why? And, of course, that is our primary task as well. And so as a result, God promises, if you'll do that, if you will do what you need to be doing at home and in the church and in all the other training and commanding your household, then I, the Lord, will bring these blessings to pass, and part of those blessings will be to bless the world. I'll take your little loaves and fishes, your little children, and I'll feed the world. I'll influence the world through them. I, God, will take these small things and turn them into great things. Proverbs 10.1, A wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish son is a grief to his mother. And so as we raise our children to the glory of God and as we send them out, we send them out with that mission. Remember, we have a mission to raise godly children we send them out with a mission. We send them out into the world. They'll go different places. They'll live different places. They'll have different jobs. They'll live next door to different people. They might attend a different church. They live somewhere else. Wherever they are, now you see how God is spreading his word. How this is really primary evangelism, by the way. This is how the kingdom primarily spreads. It's the leaven of the kingdom. And so we have to think beyond, that's my child. It is my child. But it's more than that. He's, he or she is God's child. And this is a child of the church. And this is a child that will someday be raising other children. So they will have. there will be other families impacted. And then ultimately, my children are gifts to the world. Does the world need this? Absolutely. This is... What's critical, this is what's essential. And aren't you thankful that there have been many Christian households that have gone before us, however imperfectly, have done this? And here we are. 2,000 years of this, really more. We go back to Abraham and beyond. Everywhere God's people have been faithful. God has taken their meager labors and bless them, and here we are. So, any thoughts on this, questions, comments? Uh, yes, sir. Well, thankfully, you know, I was reading the deal this week about technology, and technology does two things. It, uh Technology is what enabled you to get here in the first place. Uh, It also is going to enable you to go back and see them this week, I understand, right? Aren't you flying home? Uh, Telephones, Internet. uh, Look, the the world obviously has expanded through technology. I think we have to look at uh, that as a blessing, but also understand its limitations. And the answer is no. You don't have to go back, but you still have to do the job. You just have to figure out other ways of doing it. So... uh, Yes? Well, yeah. Well, I realize what I'm about to say, you can't do every single time. There's a time and a place to just say, because I said so or because God said so. Uh, but often it ought to be accompanied with, all right? Why are we doing this? Why do you think God told us to do it this way? Why do you think God wants you to obey me? Uh, because He loves us, and all the law is about love. Law is not about anything but love. God gives us these rules to teach us how to live so we'll be live blessed lives. And so, uh, use those. Op- don't forget that part. It's easy to just. Stop with the rule and not help them see and understand the why of the rule. And again, uh, as they get older, to not just give the where they can say, yeah, do you understand me? Yes. Uh, But to ask them something like, why do you think God gave us a rule like this? Why do you think he gave you a dad or a mom? Why do you think think dad wants you to eat your vegetables? And let them tell you because frankly oftentimes they know <laughs> they would rather it just be the you know you're 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 putting limitations on me and I don't like it but when we help them learn to think that way I think that's how we expand that anything else um I'm hoping to uh or I'm not hoping I'm planning to have a, a night session for adults only to deal with some sensitive topics and I mentioned a date, but it ended up being in conflict with one of the other things we have scheduled, so in the bulletin, I, I forgot what date I've got for it. Uh, what is it? The 20th of May uh, on a Sunday night, and we'll plan to have some babysitting if we can to uh, enable the kids to go out and play while we meet in here. And that'll be also a time for extended Q&A and on whatever topic we want, but... Uh, Let's, let's pray. Father, we thank you, again, for giving us children, for giving us a mission. And, Lord, help us to be focused on all these areas we talked about today, to have a broader view, uh, to, to be motivated by this, to do the hard things, the, the mundane things, day in and day out, knowing that you see and that you bless uh, those faithful labors. Help us, Lord, to be more diligent in prayer, and in reliance upon you and all of this, we pray for our children, that you would protect them and that you would keep them, that you would prepare them and use them for your glory and for the good of the world, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.